are we recording? Can you like oh. yes. Hello? Yes, we are. We are? Hello. Are you going to be recording? Oh, yeah. Oh, welcome yes. to Food 2030. <laughs> Joining your favorite bioeconomy youth ambassadors live from Brussels. Good morning. Hello. Let's get ready to welcome your host. Here we go. One, two, three. Rita! <laughs> Hello, guys. <laughs> broad topic that influences everyone. Treasure that lies in our country. There's actually a possibility to make the change. And include everybody in the transition that we need to make. It's not only a matter of environment, but it's also a matter of people. Woohoo! The Bioeconomy Youth Ambassadors were invited to the Food 2030 conference. And we were also invited to bring Bioeconomy Matters podcast along and do a special episode about it. So besides recording most of the sessions, I also had the opportunity to conduct small interviews. And guess what? Hi, my name is Marina Schmidt. Uh, I'm actually a professional podcaster. Hey, Hey, surprise. Like what? What are the odds of encountering a professional podcaster in your second day of interviews ever? She was so friendly, nice, and I think you will like the interview as well. I am originally from Berlin, but I live in Lisbon now. And I've been... I live in Lisbon. Yes, you do? Really? <laughs> yeah. Cool. I'm from Portugal. Oh, amazing. Yeah, yeah I love the area. Yeah, true. <laughs> yeah, so I've been doing a podcast called Red to Green for the past four years. Wow. Nice. You are the expert here, so you will teach me how to conduct an interview. <laughs> it's not that easy, actually. Yeah, it's true. It's easier to do it in person, though. Yeah. Cool. So what's your background? Uh, by training, I'm a science and technology historian wow. focused on okay. agriculture and food. So I went deep down the rabbit hole, <laughs> for sure. Yeah. But uh, so, of course, the historic background is very useful for what I'm doing. But uh, it's also what, what was also useful is uh, that I used to work in market analysis. So I would be tasked with looking at a completely novel field to me, like mobility, and to break it down with a team within a couple of weeks, uh, working for one of the largest corporate venture builders in the world, Creative Doc. That actually is the bread and butter of what I do nowadays, because it gave me the tools, the craft to look at something as complex as plastic alternatives or food waste or biotech and food and slice it into little chunks that are that make sense and build on each other yeah okay so now a question about the future mm-hmm. how do you see the um, the food sector in the next 10 years like what what are the biggest challenges for you well uh, actually on the red to green podcast which is the the one on food systems that i host uh, we we recently covered a framework for the future of food. I call it the uh, integral futurism framework. Uh, It's looking at the history of food, Mm -hmm. pretty much breaking down the archetypes, how people differ in their views on the future of food. So depending on which archetype, uh, (laughs) I think there are different valid ways to answer it. A technocrat would say we need to innovate 
and that will yeah. be the key to our future food. An egalitarian would say we have enough, we need to be better at sharing it. Uh, and a modern Malthusian would say uh, we need to just be more efficient, you know, resource okay. efficient, yeah. track, give people the right, uh, give resources the right prices, you know, true cost accounting, stuff yeah. like that. Um, reduce our CO2 footprint and um, the last category the ecologists would say we just need to live more in line with nature and if we align with nature it will give us plenty okay. right? and all of these yeah. four uh, viewpoints uh, I think are held truth and a combination of them will be the pathway to the future of food yeah that's that's a good one yeah i never thought about that way um because usually the way we see the future or the way we see problems it's usually as a whole but if you slice it down and see the different perspectives maybe it's um it's easier to just to look ahead just to see like slicing the big elephant and seeing the the parts that we can uh, make solutions for. So that's really interesting. What's your favorite fruit? Uh, an avocado. <laughs> <laughs> uh, or a tomato, just because they're fruits. Botanically, they're... <laughs> I'm very sure about um, tomatoes. They're actually part of the nightshade family. Actually, I will take tomatoes. Okay. Cherry tomatoes. Yeah, I work with tomatoes, so that's really cool. Yeah, it's just a whole different... I just wanted to be sassy answering the question, you know, not come up with, like, apple or banana, I'm like, tomato. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's really cool. So, hello. Hello. How are you? <laughs> My name is Isa Stroke. I'm um, from University of Helsinki and Beauty Food Design Factory. Okay. <laughs> really far away from me. So, that must be cold up there. <laughs> yeah, you're right. It's uh, minus 15 degrees there at the moment. <laughs> wow, okay. Um, so, what's your favorite food? My favorite food... I could live with only eating bowls, you know, <laughs> these bowls where you can put everything. Yeah. Wow, okay, I wasn't expecting that. Really? Yeah. <laughs> that's so Finnish. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I've never been there, so maybe that's why. Uh, so how do you see the food sector in 10 years? I would like to see that it's really different than what it's now. I would like to see big changes, uh, less animal-based products, more plant-based innovations. Also, I would like to see something uh, made out of bioreactor-based products. You know, that, that, that's like, for example, in Finland, we have this company called Solar Foods, and it's making uh, protein out of uh, air. Okay. So I would like to see products like this coming to the market in, okay. the, in 10 years. Yeah. Something really different what we are eating now. Okay, so what are the biggest challenges that you see that we will face as well? Mm, I would, I, I, I think what I'm most afraid of is the loss of water. Okay. You know, in Finland we have a lot of water, we are the land of thousands of lakes and there I don't see it, but for example when I'm here in Europe I see that there is a lot of like a loss of water at the moment and that's a really bit, little bit scared, scary because I don't know where we are getting the water from, maybe from the oceans, but... One last question, Okay. so what was your favorite part of the conference until now? Mm, 
if I can't mention the youth panel <laughs> where where we were uh, yeah. talking, I would say it was maybe um, the. Uh, I actually loved the conference as a whole. I, I really learned a lot because this is my first time in okay. in EU conference. People talked really uh, much about the systemic change that we are needing. Mm -hmm. So, in a whole, I liked it a lot. But okay. I also. Um, Maybe remember very well the documentary that we saw yesterday, which yeah. uh, like uh, put together all these issues that we have at the moment in our food system. So next, we have some of the conference highlights just for you. And this is the Food 2030 Conference. Our task in the next generation is to make peace with nature. SMEs in the food drink sector, many of them are struggling to survive given recent events, and they have to be fully supported in the transition and their sustainable journey. We should drastically reduce fish and meat consumption. But you have to t really take care of your bacteria. You know why? Because, my dear audience, sometimes this is the only one culture some people have. This tea uh, is too hot. It's unbearable. This tea is uh, 1.5 degrees too hot. <laughs> 1.5 degrees. It was so refreshing to see different stakeholders in the conference. We had artists, educators, policymakers, people from industry, researchers, I don't know, so many different people and that really made this conference so rich and it's really good to see that the European Commission is starting to notice that we need this interdisciplinarity to tackle problems and we really need to build bridges between the different areas. Nonetheless, the youth session really resonated with me and of course I'm being biased here, but I think Derek Cugley made a really good speech that resonated and young people really felt represented by that. So that will be the biggest highlight of this episode and I want you to enjoy his speech as well, so I will leave it here. Dara, let me turn to you again, trying to get some, some perspective, you know, what are young people's expectations for sustainable food systems and what brings you here, what burns in your heart for change? Yeah, um, so yeah, I'll answer that question a little bit indirectly. I just took some notes during today, today, and I had, yeah, I feel as young people, like part of our role here is to maybe say the things that people are sometimes maybe a bit afraid to say, to accept. And we've discussed this even in our youth ambassador program that it's a hard, it's a hard thing to try to change the system that's really benefiting you. Um, and that's kind of part of our role. So this year I, I teach a class and we have our group of ambassadors that we speak to a lot and the conversations quite dramatically changed in the last year or two in terms of our hope for the future and our dreams. This year we've had uh, the state of the climate report, for example, saying time is up. We have the head of the UN saying global warming is over. We're now into global boiling. Uh, we have news reports about the collapse of the, the AMOC, the Gulf Stream, uh, which nobody mentioned today, despite this being about green, resilient, and this could end food security in Europe, and, and it hasn't been mentioned. Uh, we have six boundaries crossed now, and we have societal breakdown being discussed as a real, not only feasibility from scientists, but actually something that's likely and dangerously unexplored, is what they say. 
So we've heard as well today about trade-offs between sustainability and, and resiliency, which is true, and the longer we wait, the bigger those trade-offs become, because now there won't be a chance of sustainability. And now we do have to focus more on resiliency. We do have to kind of admit these trade-offs and we lose some of what the sustainability is. There are still trade-offs that were mentioned today. The most obvious one is meat and dairy, which again was addressed, but not properly addressed today, I think, where, for example, even in the EU, and a big point of policy is still subsidizing meat and dairy rather than for example, the, the more healthy options like we saw today and the ones that actually build true synergies in terms of land use, emissions. We have seemingly runaway global warming. Methane is the biggest cause of that in the short term. And we're still not having proper discussions about uh, meat and dairy. So the Holocene is what really allowed agriculture to happen. It's what has allowed sustainability and what's allowed civilization we're now moving out of that. We have the Anthropocene now. What does that actually mean for food security, for resiliency? We are moving into a new geological epoch with the same systems in place and expecting resiliency. Uh, and essentially destroying and poisoning the, the systems which the food system actually, actually relies on. So I think we need to be honest with the consequences that we are already starting to face and that we will be facing very soon. We need to move away from the mindsets and the systems that ended or that are ending the, the, the last system and focus much more on uh, resiliency, much more on actually equity, for example, rather than just on efficiency, profitability, growth, etc. So in the short term, focusing on win-wins where we can, meat and dairy being the obvious one to focus on, but more importantly, looking at deep, deep adaptation, looking at more localization. Uh, the food system is extremely concentrated on a few crops and a few countries, and it's really lost a lot of diversity, which is actually what brings resiliency to any system. So we really, I think, need to start discussing and I know there's lots of researchers here to research properly actually what collapse looks like. We need to start preparing for what scientists are telling us is coming and really be honest with that and actually start building contingency, contingency plans for things like rationing, for example, making sure we distribute food in a way that's actually fair for everybody. And I think anything short of this, I wouldn't call green or resilient. So I think that needs to be the bar for what we use those words for. Thank you for tuning in to Bioeconomy Matters. I would like to express our heartfelt gratitude to BioBeo, who proudly funds this podcast and supports our mission to share with you all that Bioeconomy has to offer. Our podcasts are released bi-monthly on Wednesdays, so don't forget to subscribe and stay connected with us on social media. We are at b.y.a.eu on Instagram and at b underscore y underscore a underscore eu on Twitter or X. And remember, bioeconomy matters and you do too.